Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Immediately. Immediately. That word jumps out at me like my dog jumps out at me when I put her in the bathtub. <laughs> right at you. Immediately. Jesus is going along the Sea of Galilee and he sees these uh, young men, these fishermen, and he calls to them. Shortest sermon ever. Come, follow me. And straight away, they leave their nets. They leave their father. They leave their, their calling, their vocation, and they follow him immediately. And I don't know about you, but when I read that, when I hear that, that story, it feels very foreign to me. And it makes me feel very small as a Christian. I think, you know, do I really measure up to that kind of commitment, to that kind of wholehearted following of Christ, to leave everything and to do it immediately, without question, without hesitation, and to follow after him? I don't feel like I measure up to that. And maybe you've felt that way too. And it's been natural through the ages. Christians have, have read this, have heard this, and have tried to come up with some explanation for how this was possible. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer may have said it best. He said, reason rejects the abruptness of the disciples' response. Reason rejects the abruptness of the disciples' response. It's natural for us to try and find some humanly reasonable explanation for how it was that these fishermen, these simple men, were able in that moment to leave everything and follow after Jesus. How did they do it? It's the question I want us to ponder this morning because to do so, I think, will draw us closer, not only to those first disciples, but will draw us closer to Jesus himself. So let's think more deeply on this question, how it was possible that they left immediately. And I want to think of some different answers that could be given, that are given to this question. How did they do it? How did they leave immediately and follow Jesus? Well, the first answer that's given, maybe the most obvious answer, I kind of hinted at already, is that it's just this heroic personal commitment of these first followers of Christ. These are not only the first disciples, these are the apostles. And so these guys, they're kind of like spiritual superheroes. And this is their superpower, that they have this kind of zeal that they can abandon everything, forsake all that they have known, and follow hard after Christ without a moment's hesitation. And there's something to this. There's something to this, to, to look at these first followers of Jesus and to see them as a kind of spiritual superhero. I mean, within the scriptures themselves, they are set apart as a separate special class. These are the ones who are known as the apostles, the sent ones. Not everybody had that name. Jesus purposefully set apart 12 of them and said, you are my apostles. You are the ones who I'm first sending out into the world. They do have that special calling, that special designation among all of the rest of the disciples. 
And there's something more here, too. I, I think that we do well in our contemporary moment where it's so often the case that we just want to tear people down, right? If we see anybody that we think is special or better, we get into that kind of hyper-democratic mode where we're like, no, 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 we are all equals, all right? None of us are better than another, and so we just want to cut people down, not want to have heroes, not want to have great men and women. And so it, I think that there's part of that that uh, can infect our faith as well. And this can be a helpful corrective to say, you know what? These men, these first followers of Christ, they were special. They were apostles and they are worthy of our admiration and indeed our emulation. I mean, you could do a lot worse as a role model than the, these first disciples, am I right? Especially if you're going to pick some celebrities from nowadays. Like, let's stick with the apostles and the saints, okay? That being said, this answer to the question, how is it that they left immediately, this answer to say, well, it was just their heroic personal commitment, it falls short. And for at least three reasons. First of all, I think it doesn't do justice to the, the picture of the apostles that we get within the Gospels themselves, right? When we see Peter and when we see Thomas, we don't see men who are perfect and who are beyond any flaw. Instead, we see guys who are flawed and who are imperfect. I mean, when you talk about Peter, you can't think of Peter without thinking of his failures, with his, without uh, thinking of his denial of the Lord. When we mention Thomas, you can't think of Thomas without his questioning of the, the reality of Christ's resurrection. And on and on it goes. Look, we can emulate and admire these men, but still recognize they were flawed people. They were not spiritual superheroes. They were just like you and me. That's the first reason. The second reason is I think that there's, there's something about that. If we say, well, it was just their heroic personal commitment, that, uh, you know, it kind of gets us off the hook. Abdicates our own responsibility as disciples to say, well, you know, that kind of, of serious commitment to Christ that sort of wholehearted discipleship, that's reserved for a special class. I'm just a regular, ordinary Christian. That's not for me. And thirdly, to say that it's the personal commitment of these disciples that enabled them to immediately follow Jesus, you know what? It ignores something fundamental to the gospel. It says it in 1 Corinthians. Paul says, remember your station when you were called. Not many of you were wise, not many of you were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish in the eyes of the world. God chose those who were nothing so that all might see that his grace is everything. Look, the whole point here of Christ calling these simple fishermen is not that they were heroes, but that they weren't. And still the Lord made them his followers and indeed his apostles. Okay, so we want to reject this first answer to the question, how is it that they were able to leave everything immediately? It's not because of their heroic personal commitment. Well, a second answer that's given then is that it was because of the particular circumstances of these disciples. There were particular circumstances surrounding their time and place. This is what that great philosopher Michael Scott from The Office would call a geography joke. You just had to be there, see? 
You just had to be there to understand how it was that these disciples were able to leave everything immediately and follow Jesus. And there's kind of two variations of this. One is the historical variation and the other is the the charismatic variation. On the historical side of things, it's to say, well, look, there's more to this story that we don't have here in Matthew's gospel. There's background that we don't see here. We just get this little glimpse. Jesus says, come follow me. Immediately they follow after him. But we know even from John's gospel, we heard in last week's gospel that there was some familiarity with the Lord already. They knew something about him. They had heard about him before they made that decision to follow Christ in that moment. So there's that historical side of it, or there's the the charismatic side of it. By that I mean that Jesus, he must have just had this personal charisma that was so strong. He was like that Dos Equis guy, right? You know, the most interesting man in the world. And when Jesus came along, they couldn't help but leave everything and follow him. They wanted to have interesting lives too. And again, there is something to this particular circumstances response. On the one hand, it is the case. Jesus didn't just show up out of nowhere one day. There was a historical backstory to him. He had grown up among them. They could point out his mother, the person that they thought was his father, right? This is Joseph's son. Oh yeah, you remember you did those uh, carpentry classes with him, Peter? It was really nice. And then you failed, so you became a fisherman. There was some historical background because Christ was not only fully God, he was fully man. He lived among them. He didn't just move into the neighborhood when he was 30 years old. And as far as as his personal charisma goes, look, we know that this was the case. I mean, even though we don't have some recordings of Jesus speaking, just to read, to hear his words from the page, that magnetism of the Lord is undeniable. So yeah, that's true. But... You knew a but was coming. Can we really attribute the disciples leaving everything immediately and following Christ just to these circumstances? It makes me think of this uh, moment I had in a, a class, one of my college classes at MSU, and it was a history class. And the guy who was talking, we were talking about the Great Awakening. I can't remember if it was the first Great Awakening or the second Great Awakening. You history buffs could remind me. But we were talking about uh, this early preacher in America, a guy by the name of George Whitfield. And George Whitfield, he went out and he was doing all these, these preachings across the countryside, this big revivals, and all sorts of people were coming to faith as a result of this preaching. And my teacher, who I could tell was, was really skeptical about Christianity in general and about these people in particular, he says, well, a couple things you need to know about George Whitfield. He was a handsome dashing man and his voice was like butter and when the women saw him they swooned and I'm thinking all right time out basically what he's saying without saying it is it is just because George Whitfield was like the Brad Pitt of preaching and so people were coming to follow him is that a dated reference now Brad Pitt he's getting kind of old he's still a hunk though right okay so I actually, I, I go and look this up. I'm like, I need to learn more about this Whitfield guy. I find out that he's no taller than me. In fact, he's a little bit shorter. He looks a little bit like the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. And in fact, he was cross-eyed, okay? And that's not to say that short guys who are cross-eyed can't be handsome. But it does say, look, this guy was not just winning converts because he was such a hunk, all right? 
There was more going on here. Look, all that to say, this response, this answer of the particular circumstances, as much truth as it has to it, I think it has a little truth. It doesn't do justice to the fact that, well, the prophet Isaiah tells us that the suffering servant, the Messiah, our Lord Jesus, there was nothing about his physical form that would have attracted people. If anything, it was just the opposite. And while he may have had history and some background there, we know from the Gospels that, if anything, that discredited his message. You remember that? A prophet has no honor in his own hometown and all of that. So no, it wasn't the particular circumstances that enabled those first disciples to follow Jesus immediately. There was something more. What was that something more? Well, I think we can get at it by considering several different scenes from the Bible, which are seemingly unrelated to this calling of the first disciples. But let me just give them to you quickly. If you, in your mind's eye, you think through the scriptures and you start at the beginning. In the beginning, God said, let there be light and boom, there was light. Or you think of all of the, the Israelites along with Moses standing on the shore of the Red Sea. What are we going to do? We should just go back to Egypt. And God says, part those seas. And boom, immediately the seas are parted. Or you go forward to the, the work of the prophets. And the prophets say, thus saith the Lord. And in uttering that, kingdoms are taken down. People are uprooted. Or go to the ministry of our Lord himself elsewhere. Like we heard with the, the kids this morning. Jesus says to Lazarus, dead Lazarus. Lazarus, come out and boom, immediately, this dead man is brought to life. What do all of these scenes, and we could mention many more, what do all of these scenes from the Bible have in common? The creative, powerful word of God. That that almighty word is able to call forth creation out of nothing. That almighty word is able to topple kingdoms and part seas. And that almighty word of God is present and active in the mouth of our Lord Jesus. So that when he says, come, follow me, boom, immediately. The way that that light shone on the first day of creation, now the light shines in the hearts of those disciples. And they can't help but leave everything and follow Jesus. It's foolishness, but this is just the way that it is, Paul says. He, we heard it in the epistle reading this morning. The word of the cross, the word coming from the crucified one, our Savior Jesus. It's folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is what? The power of God. That powerful word of Christ. It is a kingly word. The Lord who says, repent, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He roams the countryside and along the Sea of Galilee, and he says, this one is mine. Martin Franzman, who wrote that great hymn we sang just a moment ago, Thy Strong Word, he has this delightful phrase about this. He says, it's an imperious confiscation when Christ calls these disciples. It's a kingly laying claim to these men for God. So Christ did for them, so Christ has done for you and me. Like King Midas, everything he sets his fingers on turns to gold. Christ, everywhere he speaks his word, he says, this is mine, you are mine. 
He did it for those first disciples along the waters of Galilee. He did it for you and me along the waters of baptism and said, come follow me. You are mine. It was an imperious confiscation. And it's good news for us. It's good news because not only does that mean that you are God's child, you are a disciple of Christ. It also is good news because that same almighty word that was at work in them and through them, enabling them to follow after Christ, that same almighty word is at work in you and through you, whether or not you recognize it. I'll leave you with this. A true story. (coughs) Pastor, do you really need to give us that caveat? Yes, sometimes. My grandpa Frank was a faithful Christian man, wonderful man, humble guy. He worked for GM for a number of years, and he worked for what was called TACOM down in in Metro Detroit, building tanks, cool stuff, worked for the the Department of Defense. But he was the kind of guy that was so humble that he would say, I could never be like these disciples. I'm not the kind of guy who could leave everything and and follow Jesus. That's just not me. I'm a simple man. He he was a a father of eight, lived in this little ranch house in Royal Oak. That was his thing. He's a father. He's a a husband. He did his work faithfully and well. But he said, "I'm I'm not like one of these superhero saints. Well, one day, uh, a few years back, my dad was serving in his parish as an usher, and he's got his name tag on, Patrick Tanetti. And this uh, stranger, out of nowhere, comes up, and he sees my dad's name tag, and he says, Tanetti, you're not related to, to Frank Tanetti, are you? He says, yeah, as a matter of fact, that's my, that's my dad. And the guy says, don't go anywhere. I've got to talk to you after the service. So after the service, the guy finds my dad, and he says, your father changed my life. He says, more than a decade ago, I was the junior member serving on this board for a a social ministry down in Detroit, this Christian ministry uh, attending to the poor and the homeless and and those who are needy. Guy says, I was the junior member on this board. It had been a really hard year for the organization. Donations were down and there was serious talk afoot about closing the whole thing just dispersing the assets and just saying, you know what, we gave it a good shot, we served our community for a number of years, let's just close up. The guy says, your dad, Frank, was serving on that board. And while all of these folks, nobody was speaking up in favor of keeping things going, and this guy who was telling my dad the story, he says, I was just shocked, I couldn't believe it, nobody's saying anything, just as simple as that, we're just gonna close this thing down? But then he says, your dad, Frank, stands up. And I should tell you, Grandpa Frank, he's not like me. He's, he, he, he was a man who, you know, spoke softly, carried a big stick kind of thing, right? Not somebody who's always running his mouth. So when he talked, people listen. I hope that you listen too. <clears throat> um, he stands up and, and he says simply something along these lines. He says, Jesus said for us to care for the least of these. He didn't say to do it only when donations are good. This work matters. Let's find a way to get it done. They decided to keep it open. But the man is telling my dad the story of this because not long after that, my grandpa Frank, Louis Tanetti, died. And the guy never had a chance to tell him the difference that it made in his life. But he told my dad, he said, you know what? Now I'm the chair of that board. And the ministry is thriving. 
because you never know the way that God's word is at work in you and through you. You might not see it and you might say, ah, I'm not a spiritual superhero like those guys. The same Christ who called them has called you, laid claim to you. And his almighty word is at work in you and through you, whether you recognize it or not. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand to sing.